I'll read Genesis 4, verses 11 through 15. And we're beginning with, uh, right after God said, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, and he's speaking to Cain. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would give us wisdom as we seek to understand it. And Lord, I pray now that you would guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit to that end. In Christ's name, amen. The uh, title of this is Jesus and, and then I wrestled for a word for a while. Uh, I could put many words in there, and let me give you a few that I had. Uh, Jesus and mercy, Jesus and society, Jesus and long-suffering. I settled on the last one. But uh, the question I've always wrestled with here, and I think I've even mentioned it here a while back, is uh, why didn't God execute Cain for his crime of murder? Uh, That is the penalty that Scripture gives for people who are Uh, accused and convicted of a crime. And uh, I uh, sent a message to uh, Pastor Kaiser a few days ago asking him about this because I wasn't sure that I was going to include this because this is Jesus in Genesis and I wasn't sure that it exactly related here. But I do believe now that it does and uh, it becomes clearer as we proceed. But uh, in regards to this death penalty that I just spoke of, Numbers 3530 says, one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. And so if this is binding at this time, then that might be a reason why God didn't execute Cain. But the question I have is, was it binding at that time? This was a law that was enacted much later, after the Jews had come out of Egypt even. Now, there is a death penalty that predates this, and it's in Genesis 9-6. Noah got off the boat, and God told him there is a death penalty. And it reads like this. 9.6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Now, God had just executed every person on earth except those eight souls that were in the boat. And now he's given... Uh, reason and justification for the execution, death penalty. And yet he hadn't done so until now. So we've got kind of the positive and the negative here. We've got the positive being the institution of the death penalty in Genesis 9. We've got the negative saying you must have two or three witnesses. But God did penalize Cain for his crime. So he did find him guilty. He punished him for his crime. So God needed no other witnesses. He was witness to the crime, and he penalized Cain for it. But he didn't penalize him with death, and that's important. Now, God's knowledge versus man's knowledge. 
God knows everything. He's omniscient. God's presence versus man's presence. Could God have been the witness there? Of course he was. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. So God is the perfect witness. He's three in one and he's everywhere all the time. So God needs no further witness for himself to execute judgment, what he deems just. He does what he wants in heaven and on earth because he's the only one that can act justly with all this knowledge. But what's going on here then? Why didn't he execute Cain? Though God can judge sin perfectly, in this instance, he chose not to. But this is not the first instance in which he chose not to. He also chose not to with Adam and Eve. So see the mercy, that's why I chose not to use Jesus and mercy, because he introduced mercy in the previous chapter when he was addressing the sin of Adam and Eve. Here, he's extending that same mercy to unbelievers. And so we think, why? Why is God extending mercy to unbelievers? God could have executed Cain, but he restrained himself. The ground shall no longer yield its strength to Cain. He punishes him with this. And then he says that Cain will be a fugitive and a vagabond. Cain believes God because he uses those same, uh, those same phrases later when his whiner baby response to God's judgment is that he can't handle it. Well, you should have thought of that before you killed your brother. Obviously, that's what we all want to say. Cain is just such a whiner here. But God doesn't rebuke him for that. God just lets the justice fall. And it is a justice that just basically says already the ground had been cursed because of Adam and Eve's fall. But now it seems to be even more cursed against Cain, more cursed against the unbeliever. Now, Jesus is the savior of the world. And there is a verse in uh, 1 Timothy 4 that I want to read to you. It's 1 Timothy 4.10. 1 Timothy 4.10 reads this. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. My understanding of that phrase, he is the savior of all men, has always been qualified by, of course, the next phrase, especially of those who believe. So you know that Jesus is the only savior on earth of man's souls. If you're saved, it's only Jesus that saves you. That's how I've always understood that, that Jesus is the savior of all men. He's the only savior, but it doesn't mean he saves all men, right? But he does. He does save all men, but not in the same sense. And let me get to this. God granted man the responsibility of self-government. And it's no clearer that when he has uh, mercy upon Cain here and he passes judgment of men to men. That's why he told Noah when he got off the boat, this is the death penalty rule. And then when the Jewish nation is formed, he gave them all the laws. It isn't that God couldn't execute our governments far better than we could. We know he could. But if God truly meted out justice, the earth would be a very, very unpopulated place. <laughs> so God has mercy on both the believers and the unbelievers. And there are many verses that, that explain this. 
God acted as Cain's savior that day. And it's right there in the text. He saved Cain. Christ was the savior of Cain. It was the blood of Christ that allowed God to exercise that mercy, that long suffering that he was participating in. Right there, right there. They'd just been booted out of the garden. He exercises mercy against the believers. Jesus exercises that mercy. It's the blood of Christ that affords God this opportunity. God is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. I want to read three verses that speak to God's long suffering that kind of tie this together. The first is in Romans 9. In Romans 9, verses 22 and 23. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. This explains the long suffering of God. God is long suffering towards both the unbelievers and the believers. Now I want to take you to Second Peter three nine. Second Peter three nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God perpetuates all of this world for the sake of the elect. God's common grace is a grace extended to all for the benefit of the elect, because God is going to bring in every elect soul to heaven. And we don't know when that is. We don't know when time ends on this earth. But we know that it will only end, it can only end, when God has redeemed every person that he is destined to redeem. Now I want to read you one more, and it's in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. This is Paul speaking. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. For this reason, Paul obtained mercy. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul considered himself the chief of sinners because he'd murdered believers. And I believe he did believe he was the chief of sinners. And I don't know that it's necessarily his intention to try to get us to take that title from him or to vie against him for that title. He wants that title. He earned that title by being someone who God extended mercy to for this incredible period of time in which he was embedded in Phariseeism. And he was just so caught up in passions that he was killing God's elect. So that is a picture of God's reason why he's so long-suffering. Paul himself was the example. And so we don't know the difference between the elect and the non-elect. We just don't know. We're not God. And God works it all out through time. And we will know one day when we're in heaven, we will probably see people there that we will be very surprised to see there. People that woefully mistreated us, that we feel are in no way worthy of heaven. And yet people will see us too. 
Why are you here? They'll ask us. So the cross of Christ is the source of saving grace on this earth. We know this. He alone is a savior. But the cross of Christ is also the source of all the common grace that's extended to everyone equally. God causes his reign to fall upon the just and the unjust alike. So this grace, this common grace, restrains sin for our benefit, for the benefit of we who love God, for we who will inherit this earth when the wicked are washed away from it. And we enjoy this table as a reminder that we are special, that we are in a privileged position, so appreciate it. Father, we thank you for your many blessings. Uh, We thank you for the fact, Lord, that we do enjoy this privileged position with you, that uh, you have uh, created us for this purpose, and we thank you. Uh, We cannot truly thank you enough. And we pray, Lord, that you would be with us now, that you would have this uh, communion to be applied to our hearts, to be applied to our spirits, to absolve us of sins, to remind us that we are special to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.